This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And okay, Annie, um, well, we're, we're, we're talking about can openers today. Yeah. Mostly can openers and cans, kind of. Kind of a little bit, yeah. A, a whole other episode on canned food yeah. will need to be forthcoming. Yeah, absolutely. But can opener technology is also really interesting, especially because the can opener wasn't invented for almost 50 years after cans were invented. Yeah. And, um, I speaking of to, struggles being real. <laughs> speaking of struggles being real, <laughs> uh, Lauren and I engaged in a 12-minute <laughs> battle to uh, open a can of corned beef a week ago, maybe, and uh, it got it got us thinking because it was a can <laughs> opener that eventually saved the day. It was. We tried with the little key oh, thing. Right, it was one of those those rectangular kind of trapezoidal cans that has the little the little pull key on it that mm-hmm. hypothetically you're supposed to be able to like twist the key and and the there, there's a seam in the can that will kind of pop and and then you you can like twist the seam around the edge of the can and it will just release. That's not what happened to us. No. Um, it's one of my favorite things <laughs> is I, I – we have footage of this. We have video <laughs> footage of this. And I sped it up and it still took <laughs> six minutes. 
of us trying to open a can. It's uh, pretty embarrassing. And hilarious. And hopefully hilarious. Yes. Um, I, I laugh about it now. Now. <laughs> it wasn't quite so funny at the time. Um, I, I put, like, circus music in the background. It's very appropriate. Yeah. We will post it eventually somewhere. Absolutely. And if you saw on social the picture I posted for Lauren's birthday. Oh, yeah. That was green from. Screen mm-hmm. With the knife. That's how we were desperate. Yeah. We were desperate. The knife didn't work, FYI. No. Nothing worked but the can opener, which is what we're talking about today. Yes. So, can opener. What is it? It is a device for opening cans. Well, there you go. Yep. It can be manual or electric. And I myself have never figured out how to use the electric variety. It's a running joke in my family. (laughs) I cannot do it. I you, you put it on there and it doesn't do? It doesn't do. Huh. And then my mom comes over and she just does some kind of slightly different gesture and it works. I don't know if maybe I have a at my house an interesting one or I'm just – maybe I'm not meant to open cans. <laughs> I'm starting to think about my whole life. That's That's a possibility. I, you know, you can do without them and these are modern times of refrigeration, so. Yes, but in, a, in an apocalypse situation, I'm going to be – Oh, I'm going to be in some trouble. Well, you also wouldn't need the electrical one, so. That's true. Okay, I'll be fine. Okay. Um, In the UK or perhaps with Commonwealth English, a can opener might be called a tin opener. Sure. FYI. Mm Mm-hmm. And from 1972 to now-ish, we have produced globally over 3 trillion cans. 64 million tons of those are aluminum. That's enough to go to the moon and back 500 times if they were stacked from end to end. Only about a quarter of those are recycled, and a non-recycled can can take up to 200 years to degrade. However, if you do recycle, an aluminum can can be back on the shelves in less than 60 days, and it takes 95% less energy to produce a can from recycled aluminum as opposed to aluminum ore. Um, Annually, billions of cans are sold around the world. Uh, so recycle kids. Especially there yes. I was gonna say especially certain materials are easier to recycle. Oh, yeah, yes. In in terms of aluminum cans, recycle those. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh canned food is made by manipulating the temperature and the pressure of the stuff inside the can. And you do this by heating it to the temperature at which water boils. Uh, that's two hundred and twelve Fahrenheit and or a hundred degrees Celsius or higher. Um, And at its most basic here, you're looking to to place the food or liquid that you want to preserve in a receptacle that's airtight, except for the lid, which you place on top of the receptacle. And you put this in a hot water bath. And as the food or liquid in the can heats up, it'll expand, pushing any remaining gases out of the can. This creates an area of low pressure inside the receptacle as compared with the normal atmosphere outside of it. Yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, As physics attempts to equalize that pressure, um, you know, and and the volume of air molecules inside and outside of the receptacle, the the greater pressure outside will push the lid down really hard. And if it's tight-fitting enough, the the differences in pressure will be enough to form an airtight or vacuum or hermetic seal. Mm -hmm. And yes, I said pushed down, not pulled down. Okay. Think Think of flying in an airplane, okay? Can do. All right. If some Twilight Zone stuff happens, 
And one of the windows on the plane pops out. William Shatner, or or, uh, John Lithgow, take your pick, uh, isn't going to get sucked out of the airplane. He'd He'd get pushed out. Oh, okay. And that's because at commercial flight heights in our atmosphere that the air is really thin. It's an area of low pressure compared with the relatively high pressure inside of the cabin. So if a window breaks, all that high pressure air is going to rush outward, pushing other objects like William Shatner along with it. Similarly, the pressures involved in canning push the lid down. I see. Physics. I never worked on my Shatner impression, but now I'm reminded that I need to, I need to take some time and do that. Oh, okay. More homework. <laughs> yes. Good job. Very important. <laughs> and uh, this technology is really great because, well, A, um, the heat treatment generally gets the food hot enough for long enough to kill off any microbes that might be in there, and B, that airtight seal prevents any more other microbes from getting in. And because, as we talked about before, food spoils when microbes start eating it before you get the chance to, canning food means that uh, the food won't spoil for a long, long time. Yeah, pretty long. I think that corned beef that defeated us, I I believe it was uh, 2022, and that was Best Buy. Yeah. So... After that, it's just, yeah. I, and there's there's uh, some stuff that we will not go into today about uh, diff- different types of nutrients can degrade due to the canning process, stuff like that. But in general, you know. Yeah. That's actually a topic I'd love to come back to because some listeners have written in and asked um, how accurate, how accurate could those nutrition labels possibly be for things that might degrade over time? Um, or like a bag of spinach, that was when packed in one place. Anyway, more homework. Um, <laughs> yes. Also, poor canning can lead to botulism. Oh, it certainly can. Um, and that's because uh, Clostridium botulinum, the uh, microbe that causes botulism, only thrives uh, without oxygen around. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, if you can food improperly, if, if you don't heat it to the right temperature to, uh, to get rid of stuff like that, then it can start thriving inside of the can and eventually uh, bloat out the can from the, from the gases that it gives off as it eats your food. Um, it, it also gives off really, really toxic uh, bot, 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 botulism toxins. So you don't want that. No. That's, that's bad. So that's, that's why if you ever see a can that's bloated outwards, don't eat that can. No. Yeah. And generally cook food that you get out of a can to an appropriate temperature before you start eating it. Usually that's around, oh, goodness, like 122 to 165 degrees, depending on the the components. Yes. Yeah. Food safety tip of the episode. Mm -hmm. Dented cans are usually fine as long as the dent is not along either the side seam or the uh, top or bottom seams. There you go. Seams, not scenes. (laughs) Different thing. (laughs) Different thing entirely. Well, that is our our primer of um, canning and the can opener, but we got some pretty interesting history for you. We do. Yeah. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Toyota believes in the power of personal choice for reducing carbon emissions. Beyond Zero is their vision to go beyond carbon neutrality, and they're working toward it with a diverse lineup of electrified vehicles. And electrified doesn't just mean plugified either. Toyota offers more low- and zero-emissions vehicles combined than any other automaker, so you have choices that fit your lifestyle. Whether you want a hybrid EV that starts and handles like a traditional Toyota with better MPG, a battery EV that delivers a smooth, silent, clean ride, or a plug-in hybrid EV that goes between battery and fuel to give you the best of both worlds, Toyota has you covered. And for those of you who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. But it doesn't stop with vehicles. Toyota is decreasing its plastic waste, supporting water conservation efforts, and expanding programs that protect critical species, all to help reduce their environmental footprint and create a positive impact on society, giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions. That's Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified vehicles slash beyond dash zero dash vision. Toyota. Let's go places. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. The tale of the can opener starts with Napoleon Bonaparte. What? Yeah. Huh. It's oh, been a while. It it's has. been a while since we've talked about Napoleon. Yeah. Hey, Napoleon. Yeah, hey. Uh, in 1795, as he was wont to do, Napoleon offered a prize to anyone who could figure out a way to preserve food for soldiers. Nicolas Appert got the prize money in the early 19th century, but his methods called not for tin cans, but glass jars that were corked and sealed with wax, then wrapped up and boiled. Appert also went on to publish a book, The Art of Preserving Animal and Vegetable Substances. And a fun aside, yes. he was from the Champagne region of France, so the first glass he used 
were they were champagne bottles sealed with a lime and cheese mixture that seems to have been effective. <laughs> Later, he did move on to wider lipped jars, but I love I love thinking about buying like canned corn, but it's but it's in a champagne bottle. Mm-hmm. Finding ways to feed soldiers was a serious business. During the Seven Years' War of the 1750s, it's estimated half of British seamen died from malnutrition. Ooh. Yeah. In 1810, the same year that a pair won the prize money, over in the United Kingdom, King George III granted a patent for the first iron and tin cans to an inventor named Peter Durand. Similar to a pair, Durand sealed food in the cans, submerged them in cold water before slowly bringing the temperature up to a boil, and then resealed them. It seems Durand was kind of interested in the fame of this whole thing. While it may have been his patent, the patent comes with this caveat, an invention communicated to him by a certain foreigner residing abroad. And that foreigner was Frenchman Philippe de Girard. Girard couldn't get the product patented in his own country because of some red tape, so he came to London to get it done. But he couldn't take it out himself because the two countries were at war. Oh, man. So Peter Durand was like, okay, I'll do it. Then Durand sold the patent to Brian Donkin for a thousand pounds. England's first commercial canning company, Donkin Hall and Gamble, opened in 1813. Before going out, every can of food they produced spent a month at high temperatures as sort of a quality assurance, and they were numbered too, so you could trace back where they came from. Check them, yeah. Yeah. And soldiers loved the canned food. There's even a cove in Chile called Caleta Donkin, named because of the arriving crew's affinity for the canned food. Uh, I mean, when all you've got after that is like is like a salt beef and hardtack, then it's easy to see why. Oh, absolutely. A surgeon on a French ship wrote of the stuff, quote, forms a most excellent restorative to convalescence and would often on long voyages save the lives of many men who run into consumption tuberculosis, at sea for want of nourishment after acute diseases. My opinion, therefore, is that its adoption generally at sea would be a most desirable and laudable act. Ah. Mm-hmm. After trying over two-year-old canned veal, Sir Joseph Banks over at the Royal Society declared it to be in a, quote, perfect state of preservation and that Donkin's invention was one of the most important discoveries of the age we live in. A letter penned by an engineer in 1815 read, I gave visitors a round of English beef, which was cooked by Messrs. Duncan and Gamble two years and four months before, which, with a glass of wine, made no bad lunch. (laughs) It's kind of delightful. That is. They got a lot of letters, kind of fan letters. By 1821, the order for Duncan's canned food was somewhere around 9,000 pounds. That same year, Donkin ended his relationship with the company and went on to develop the first paper-making machine. Um, and it seems he was genuinely just interested in inventing things. He wasn't in it for the fame or the money. He kind of was like, okay, I did that. Now okay, I'm going to go do this other one. thing. Yeah. Goodbye. I've already got a cove from that one. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll have to visit my cove. <laughs> um, these cans, though, they were very thick. And they weighed anywhere from 4 to 20 pounds, or about 2 to 9 kilos. Soldiers found they couldn't get them open unless they used a hammer and chisel, our very first pass at a can opener. (laughs) Or they would just throw the cans at things, like rocks. Yeah. Just bash them. Just bash them until, like, nope, there's the food. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it just go everywhere? I guess if that's all you got. I I guess you you, you form a technique. Yeah. Yeah, man the tool maker. 
I bet a lot of people had a very specific technique. Oh, man, a certain kind of rock that you need to get. Yeah. A certain shape. A certain angle, angle you hit it at. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> um, cans sometimes actually came with the instruction, quote, cut around at the top with the chisel and hammer. But Lauren and I, we used a knife like fools. <laughs> fools. But we weren't the only fools oh. because instructions on how to open a canister from Fortnum and Mason in 1849 catalog read, First, stab a hole with the butt end of the knife near the upper rim of the canister, capital C. Then, insert the blade as far as it will go. Draw the handle towards you, the claw resting toward the canister as a lever, when the blade will be found to cut through the tin with perfect ease. I Not, somehow doubt that. I, I somehow doubt it, too. I, and I can see that you doubted it because in the, ner- in the notes here, you, you said, D- draw the handle towards you and then in parentheses, what? <laughs> With like four exclamation points, which definitely made me laugh out loud at my desk, which made everyone look at me. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, no, these these things were, were made of, like, wrought iron lined with tin. Um, and, and that combination of metal could be almost a fifth of an inch thick. That's, that's, like, five millimeters. It's big. Yeah. That's nothing to sneeze at. No. And you can find in many a museum, but also online, pictures of these old-timey cans. And I, I, I like, read the, you know, five millimeters. I'm like, oh, it must be thick. But then when I saw the picture, I was like, oh. Like, oh. oh, that's a bunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if our uh, can openers would have been able to put much of a dent in there. Certainly certainly not the dinky little one. Oh, oh. That- <laughs> Jeez. I'm still mad about this whole thing. Mad and tickled at the same time. I recently broke a, a can opener, a manual one. Uh-huh. It just... Came like the, the wheels went uh-huh. everywhere. I, oh, man. Again, I'm not sure I'm meant to open cans. Um, How about the pull tabs? Do you do okay with those? Yeah, generally. I have broken off the tab many, more than once. More than once. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> not only were these thick cans really tricky to open, at a measly six per hour, these cans were hard to produce. They were handmade. Mm-hmm. Improvements to speed things up didn't come along until 1846 with Henry Evans's process to make a can with a single motion, which brought production up to 60 cans an hour. Um, Alan Taylor patented a machine that produced thinner cans quicker in 1847, but we still had no better method for opening them. In 1851, John Gamble, now at the helm of the company left behind by Donkin, introduced a whole variety of canned foods at the Great Exhibition. Canned food was more popular than ever. Until, 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 until. <laughs> in 1852, an inspection of 306 cans of meat revealed only 42 had not putrefied. The Ooh. smell was so bad. The inspectors had to leave the room at one point, I think it was multiple times, for fresh air. And the stone floors where they were inspecting these cans had to be coated with chloride of lime. Some of the cans contained bits of heart, rotting tongues. Some of the meat was from diseased animals. They had ligaments, tendons, and an entire, quote, perfectly putrid kidney was found in one. Oh, wow. This prompted a nationwide inspection. Um, And this was in the U.K., Officers on the Plover tossed 1,570 pounds of canned food into the Bering Straits in 1853 after finding it in a, quote, pulpy, decayed, and putrid state. This all seemed to trace back to the 1845 winner of the Admiralty contract, Stefan Goldner. 
He'd won this contract because he was cheaper than everyone else, thanks to the cheap labor he employed and the corners that he cut. Despite a growing number of complaints, he was reawarded the contract with a higher demand for tinned meat in 1847 and again in 1850. Goldner started using bigger cans, but he did not cook them correctly. Some historians estimate over 600,000 pounds ended up getting thrown away, valued somewhere around 6,691 pounds. Whew. Yeah. Goldner was never allowed to provide food for the Navy again, and it took about 10 years for people to come back around to canned food. Yeah, this this was kind of like the event at which people were like, maybe not this invention. Yeah. Maybe never again this invention. It was uh, I've read in several places the thing that almost killed canned food. <laughs> yeah. Um, Goldner also supplied the canned food for Sir John Franklin's doomed Arctic voyage and could have possibly played a role in its fate in 1847. Um, when the bodies of the crew were discovered, they had high levels of lead, which people attributed to lead leaking from the cans. Or from the uh, from the soldering um, yeah. material at the, at the rims of the cans, yeah. Yeah, and people were very scared and eager, not eager, but ready to blame canned food for Absolutely. This. However, more recent research suggests that it was more likely the lead piping in the ship. Oh. Yeah. Probably well. wasn't the cans. Well, good. Good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good for canned food. And canned food's PR did recover with the help of some ads about its nutritional benefits, and condensed milk became the first mass-produced canned food item. And this kind of brings us to some more can opener innovations because, again, we really don't have a good way to open these things yet. Nope. Nope. But first, we're going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Toyota believes in the power of personal choice for reducing carbon emissions. Beyond Zero is their vision to go beyond carbon neutrality, and they're working toward it with a diverse lineup of electrified vehicles. And electrified doesn't just mean plugified either. Toyota offers more low and zero emissions vehicles combined than any other automaker, so you have choices that fit your lifestyle. Whether you want a hybrid EV that starts and handles like a traditional Toyota with better MPG, a battery EV that delivers a smooth, silent, clean ride, or a plug-in hybrid EV that goes between battery and fuel to give you the best of both worlds, Toyota has you covered. And for those of you who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. But it doesn't stop with vehicles. Toyota is decreasing its plastic waste, supporting water conservation efforts, and expanding programs that protect critical species, all to help reduce their environmental footprint and create a positive impact on society, giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions. That's Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified vehicles slash beyond dash zero dash vision. Toyota. Let's go places. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. In the U.S., canned items like oysters and meats hit the shelves around 1825. But canned foods didn't really take off until the Civil War. Again, we've got to feed those soldiers. And the demand went up by six times. Now, Ezra Warner was the first to answer the call for a better can opener with a U.S. patent for one in 1858. Better. Better. (laughs) As in... Not a hammer and chisel no. or a knife. <laughs> Heavy square scare quotes. Better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, it would be labeled as a bayonet and sickle, if that gives you any idea. Uh, it does kind of look like a combination of those two things. A blade would penetrate into the top of the can, prevented from going too deep by this kind of guard thing. And then the sickle part, this curved blade, would cut around the top sort of like a saw, which left a very not safe jagged edge. And side note, another story of my my tale with my bad luck with cans. Um, I sliced the dickens out of my head with the edge of a can when I was two years old, and it's one of my first memories. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Had to go to the hospital. I, I assume it wasn't a can opened by one of these things, but nonetheless. Could have been. Oh, t- <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Mysteries of Annie's history. <laughs> Warner's design never really took off outside of for soldiers in the Civil War. Or in grocery stores where grocers would open cans for customers to, to take, take home. home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, uh, and I want to mention here that, that Louis Pasteur hadn't patented his process of pasteurization, of, of heating foods or drinks to, to an appropriate temperature to kill off microorganisms up until this point in history. Uh, that, that came in 1865. Mm-hmm. So this whole time, um, this heating of foods to make them safer was lucky. Wow. It was lucky that, like, the ceiling works this way. And so, therefore, uh, the food got cooked, killed yeah. off bacteria. Congrats, guys. Yeah, congrats. You, you did a thing. You did. <laughs> Perhaps you didn't understand why, but you did it. Mm-hmm. A year later, in 1866, Lauren and I's arch nemesis can opener was invented by Jay Osterholt. <laughs> no thanks to you, sir. It was <laughs> a tin can with a key opener. And yes, you can still find these, particularly with canned meats. Mm-hmm. 
I have been meaning to look up a video of how it should work because <laughs> I'm still at a loss for yeah. what went wrong. Me too. I'd like, to, were we not pulling hard enough? Like, I think we both have. Was it a matter of strength? Surprising arm strength. I don't know. Is the mm. can faulty? Many questions. Um, the one, the can opener that's most familiar, probably for most of us, outside of the electric one, came about in 1870 courtesy of one William Lyman. He patented a can opener that used a rotary cutter method. But it did look a bit different than what you'd find today. It was just a, a wheel that went around the can's edge, just cutting away as it did. The design was refined in the 1920s by the Star Can Company. Star Can Company. Yes. And Charles Arthur Bunker, who added the wheel's serrated edges. Before that, though, people lost a lot of fingers with the so-called bully beef can opener. And this thing looked kind of like a wrench, but with blades. Yeah, this this was like the fun update to that bayonet uh, <laughs> style can opener. A Super little fun. bit safer. But a little. Not for your fingers. The name is because a lot of the canned foods in the Army were tend meats, and these can openers were what soldiers used during World War I to get to that stuff. Um, I, I recommend looking up pictures of that as well because it's like... Yeah, a lot of them were... were, were a, terrifying looking, but yes. B, decorated to look like little bulls with little, like, it, it kind of makes sense. Like, it's the, you're opening it with, like, the bull's jaw, I guess. Right. Yeah. they horns. Yeah. I'm not, it's. It's interesting. Fanciful. Yeah. For something that might take off a finger. Absolutely. The first known Heinz baked beans can traces back to 1895 from an old recipe out of Boston. And these cans made their way over to London in 1901 and have since become part of the English breakfast. The UK is the number one consumer of baked beans and the US isn't even in the top 10. I just thought that was a little... Interesting, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. The uh, double seaming of cans helped speed the process of making them along in 1896. And this is a type of seal along along the lid of the can, and it's still in use today, which is fascinating to me. Um, okay, so, so when the lid is fitted on, the edge of the lid and the lip of the can's cylinder, like the wall of the yeah. can, yeah, are folded around each other and then crimped together. And this can create that airtight seal that you're looking for. And would, would you guys go on a visual journey with me on this audio podcast? Absolutely. Because the, the the way that it's designed is is super fascinating. Um, I, I mean, it's just, it's just really clean design from a design standpoint. Okay, so picture what's going on in this fold. It's like if you took if you took a candy cane, mm-hmm. okay, and pointed pointed it so that the crook is facing left. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. The straight edge of the cane is the wall of the can, and the crook is this little extra bit of metal that's going to help form the seal. Okay. All right. Yep. Now, take a question mark. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is fun. <laughs> and, and and rotate it 90 degrees counterclockwise. Okay. All right. So so that the crook is kind of facing down and and like the the the, the flat the flat bit is parallel to oh. the to the ground. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. Okay. The, the the straight edge of the mark is is the lid of the can. Okay. Okay. And the crook of the question mark is a little extra bit that's also going to help form the seal. So you fit the crook of the candy cane into the crook of the question mark. Mm-hmm. And voila. Wow. Press them together and that's it. That was amazing, Lauren. I don't, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm shocked that it worked. I just went on this journey in my head. <laughs> it was wonderful. 
<laughs> I was in it all the way. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's just a, it's a really ingenious way of of just making it making it do. Yeah, I add a little bit of glue or, or rubber seal in there, and and um, it's very effective. Centuries old. Mm-hmm. Century. Century plus. old. Yeah. <laughs> In 1931, the electric can opener entered the market. The company behind it, the Bucher Clancy Company, faced a lawsuit from the Star Can Opener, but they changed their design enough that they were able to get away with it. It took 25 years before they became practical, uh, though, thanks to a father and daughter duo that came up, came up with one in their garage that could freestand on the kitchen counter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first canned beer, Kruger Cream Ale, out of Virginia, went on sale in 1935. Several can openers were developed for soldiers during World War II. Um, A lot of them were more compact, perhaps your Swiss Army knife of multiple uses can opener. Andy Warhol's painting of 32 soup cans hits the art scene in 1962. In 1963, Emmy Rays invented the easy-open aluminum can top, especially useful for canned drinks. Before that, you had to use a tool that left a triangle hole in the top of cans to get to your drink. Yeah, yeah. You'd make one little, one little punch on one side of the, of the lid and another little punch on the other so that you aren't yeah. going to get the, the, um, the liquid pressure stopping right. you from pouring it out. I feel like I've been to perhaps a hipster esque restaurant where oh, they still, still do that. It? I think yeah. so. I've definitely <laughs> drank out of a can like that before. Um, um, in the 1960s, we saw patents for machines that would unfold that that folded seal mm-hmm. of a tin can, but they took a lot of energy, and that's were more of an industrial thing than a home use kind of object. In the 80s, people were experimenting with can openers that that acted on the cylinder wall of the can rather than on the lid. Mm-hmm. Um, though that still left a sharp edge and, like, wasn't necessarily easier right. than attacking the lid. <laughs> but in 1993, we finally saw a patent for the safety can opener, which is my favorite type of can opener. Okay. All right. So rather than cutting through the wall of the can or the lid of the can, it cuts through the outermost layer of that folded seam, mm-hmm. which which is just a little piece of the lid. So... You just you just cut through the outermost layer of that, and uh, and the way that the, the way that it works, it also like bends the metal out a little bit. So, so you just you just cut around the seam of the of, of the lid oh. rather than the actual huh. lid itself, and it just pops right off. Wow! Boop, and then it can and you can just kind of pop it right back on again. Just boop. No no sharp edges. Man, I've never heard of this. Oh oh man. Okay. That's probably what I need. I'm going to go get you one, like, right after this podcast. <laughs> you apparently need one very badly. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> so. Canned food got a boost after the recession in the U.S. in 2009, about 11% increase. And there was a lot of talk before that of canned food is going to be a dying industry. It's going to be replaced by um, frozen food or just, like, bagged, bagged food. Mm-hmm. Um but people in the canned food industry seem pretty confident that it's sticking around. Yeah, I would, I, and I would agree. Yeah, and now we have ways to get to the food inside the can <laughs> thanks to the can opener. Yay! Yes. So that is our our, that, that our is look the at story. the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, story of the can opener. The story of the can opener. It is 
a very interesting one. I, I just love it took us that long to... <laughs> to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And, I mean, you and I still... <laughs> still struggle. Me more so than you, but... I, I wouldn't call what I do in that video succeeding with flying colors, so... <laughs> No one succeeded in that video except for the can of corn. <laughs> it was it was the winner that day. Yeah. Uh, the, we just left feeling very humbled, perhaps. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. But this brings us to listener mail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seamus wrote... Did you know that butter is an excellent makeup remover? There's a scene in an early 1900s novel about an opera singer where they describe her getting butter smeared all over her face to get the makeup off. When I had no makeup remover but an awful lot on my face that needed removed, I figured that while the makeup has definitely changed a lot in the past hundred years, the basic composition is probably similar enough that it should probably work. It did indeed. It actually worked and did so a lot better than commercial makeup removers. Just smear a very thick layer of room temperature butter all over your face very thoroughly. Let it stay there for maybe a few minutes and wipe it off. The makeup comes right off with it. Then wash your face with soap and water. No extra bath supply needed. (laughs) Any residual makeup deposits, like in the eye corners, will dissolve into the soap and rinse away. And since you use soap immediately, you don't have to worry about all the problems that come up with uh, putting oil on your skin. (laughs) It really does work a lot better than actual makeup removers and without that awful chemical stinging feeling on your skin. To the contrary, your face will will feel quite refreshed. I imagine. Um, You can even apply the butter right to your eyes. Just keep them closed until you wash. Just thought I'd share this extremely underrated hint. As a final endorsement of butter as a makeup remover, I later told a drag queen about it who was also very impressed with the results. If butter can easily remove drag makeup, it can certainly take off what the rest of us wear. Oh, I would hope so. Oh, me too. The other note is about pomegranates. You may be interested to know that pomegranates are actually very easy to grow. A cousin of mine planted a few seeds from one she got at the supermarket and gave one of the sprouts to me. It was a puny little thing that looked like it would shrivel up if you looked at it funny, and to be honest, I really only accepted it to be polite. I put the seedling with some other flowers outside and figured it would die off within a few weeks. Even for a sprout, it really looked that frail. But it kept growing, if slowly at first, outliving all the plants that surrounded it, and is now a bush taller than me. (laughs) It never showed any signs of bearing fruit, but we kept it because it was really pretty and also seemed to live no matter how much we forgot to care for it. (laughs) The leaves turn a beautiful bright yellow in the fall, like ginkgo leaves do. Anyway, we just decided it was a lovely ornamental bush in its own right and that it would never produce fruit. But after nine years of showing no desire to put out so much as one flower, it was absolutely covered in bright orange flowers this year. Even the buds look like tiny pomegranates. It's like the plant finally remembered what it is. The flowers only lasted (laughs) a week or two, but it now has incipient pomegranates hanging off of it. If we manage to keep the squirrels and other pests off them... We will be able to taste in the fall. Oh, man. That's really exciting. Yeah, send pictures. Let us know how it's going. Yeah, keep us updated. Oh, now I want to go plant some. Okay. I know. Now that I know it's easy, <laughs> I'm skeptical, but I'll, I'll, I'll take the leap. Yeah. I kind of yeah. want to do it. They're very beautiful. People have sent us pictures of the pomegranates. They grow and quite a beautiful oh, yeah. blossom. They are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ursula wrote, 
It's about 90 degrees here in Cincinnati, Ohio today, and after a morning of gardening, I was hankering for a refreshing cocktail. My mint plant needed to be trimmed down, so I decided on a mojito and took the chance to flip through a couple cocktail books I have and have not thoroughly read. Looking through the book The Cocktail Lab, I noticed an apple mojito recipe in which he uses apple juice instead of rum for a refreshing, non-dehydrating summer drink. Wanted to send this to you guys because A, the simple inclusion in a cocktail book without setting it aside is a mocktail, but just another delicious mixed drink. And also because who doesn't want a new drink recipe to try? True. Very true. Sounds refreshing. It does. It sounds lovely. Yeah. It is quite hot in Atlanta as well. Oh, yes. It's been, it's been in the 90s all week. Mm-hmm. We are always on the prowl for a refreshing summer drink. We are. Oh, and speaking of. Yes. Speaking uh, of. Yeah, we got to hit up the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival this past weekend and try many a refreshing beverage. We tried so many things. So many things. Um, Beyond count. Be, truly. Um, we were there um I went Thursday to a kind of fancier uh, sit-down meal called Edible Eats. Edible Ends. <laughs> Edible Eats also, but Edible <laughs> Ends. It was about making use of um, all of the kind of leftovers in the kitchen. So wasting, not wasting food, which yeah. was a very big thing that came up a lot this year. Absolutely, yeah, like like whole animal kind of stuff, right? Yeah, using the scraps, all that stuff. yeah. Um, and it was delicious. Um, local chef Stephen Satterfield was there. Um, and you met so many cool people. If you were following us on social, we actually posted an Instagram story, our first <laughs> ever. Some pictures, some updates. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I still have another batch of pictures to, to put out from that. But it was it, it was delightful. Everyone there was so excited about the food that they were cooking and the products that they were using. Um, we met some amazing humans that we're hoping to bring on to the show. Oh, absolutely. And um, I was going to try to, like, take a swing at what was my favorite thing that I tried. But my brain was like, no, <laughs> too much. Too oh, much. goodness. Um, Mine might, and it was like sort of the first thing that I tried, so I might be biased towards that. But this, um, there was this delightful key lime tart with yeah. watermelon and basil. That was really good, and it was just so like simple but perfect. I was like, why haven't I put basil? Yeah, on citrus desserts before. Of course oh. you should. Of course, it was so you nice. Should. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for for anybody who is interested, perhaps doesn't know what we're talking about, um. Pretty much for three days, there's a bunch of classes. Um, I went to bacon and champagne, and it was like two-year cured bacon. Um, it's a bunch of classes about pretty much any type of food and drink thing you can imagine, any kind of pairings you can imagine. Uh-huh, different types of uh, fermentation, different types of methods of, of creating these things, sure. Yeah, and almost everything comes with tasting of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they have tasting tents where it's, I think it's over 100-plus um, mostly southern restaurants. And breweries and wineries and other producers. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, come do the, do, do the marketing thing where they've got booths set up and something for you to taste. And Yeah, and we did it. You, you did it a lot harder than I did. I, <laughs> I, I tend, tended to wear down after the first seven or so hours. On any given day, but <laughs> but you're a trooper. I was very uh, enthusiastic. <laughs> um, 
I, I have a, what I'm going to guess is a running thing now where every year I try to collect as many koozies as I can. And this year I got 21, which is um, four more than my 17 of last year. <laughs> and I got so much stuff. I was like sorting through the bag I was carrying around on Saturday just sunglasses and hats and rice and like <laughs> snacks and can openers. No, not can openers, like um, bottle openers. Bottle openers. If I had there a can opener, that would have been perfect. <laughs> oh, I might have one. I got a lot of interesting things in there. I'm still sorting through and trying to find space. But um, we had it, we had a great time and we, did. we really did meet a lot of really rad people doing cool stuff around around town, around the South, um, and we're very eager to hopefully get to share some of their stories with you. Absolutely, yeah. So um, so thank you to to y'all for, for writing in earlier. Thank you to everyone at Atlanta Food & Wine for, uh, for giving us the opportunity to go out and check that out. Mm-hmm. And hey, uh, if you would like to write to us, you can do that. Yes, our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We are also on the aforementioned social medias. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. We're also on, oh, that's other, the, the Instagram. Yes, that one. We're, we're on there at foodstuff. We hope to hear from you. Thank you, as always, to our super producer, Dylan Fagan, who is apparently the one who, who turned any on to the topic of can openers in the first place. Yeah, he mentioned in passing that... Um, they, they had the can for 50 years or before they had the can opener. And then Lauren and I struggled to open the can opener. And I was like, well, one, Dylan would never struggle with a can to open a can. He's too cool. He's very elegant. Yeah. But two, we must look into this. <laughs> Thank you to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. There's plenty to celebrate in March, and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. 
Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.